1: Welcome to the Three Down Nation Podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Dane Evans and his shoulder injury.
0: Vernon Adams Jr. starting his first game as a member of the B.C. Lions.
2: Chase Brown's incredible start to the NCAA season.
1: Canadian QB Trey Ford returning to the lineup for Edmonton.
0: And Willie Jefferson sporting a vintage Milt Stegall jersey. But first...
1: The Riders can eliminate Chris Jones and the Edmonton Elks from playoff contention this week when the teams play at Mosaic Stadium Friday night. Saskatchewan lost the Banjo Bowl by 34 points, but did so while dealing with a stomach bug. It was coming out of both ends. that infected over 20 players and caused them to play with a short bench against Winnipeg. Will the Rough Riders eliminate their former head coach and his team from the postseason?
0: Yes, I I absolutely think that the Riders will eliminate the Edmonton Elks from postseason contention this week. The CFL released a press release earlier this week suggesting that Winnipeg will clinch a home playoff game with a win. They neglected to mention that this is an elimination game for the Elks. Fortunately, I did the quick math and then checked it with about three people because I don't trust my actual math skills. Uh, But this is an elimination game for the Edmonton Elks, and at the end of the day, this has been an extremely disappointing season for that team. They've given up 46 or more points in four different losses this year, and Chris Jones was very, very open after this past game talking about how he is embarrassed on behalf of his team, his players, his coaching staff. Um, He said he was going to be looking at the film to check who even still wants to be on that team, and I mean, I think he's cut and then brought back about 50 different players this year. So if you don't have the right mix by now, I'm not sure what what he's hoping for. But let's talk about the Riders a bit. I was at that Banjo Bowl for an hour going into the game. I was frantically counting players. It was actually it was a big math week for me. I don't do math a lot. It was a big <laughs> math week for me, counting players furiously, checking them off on of my roster. I don't think they ever had more than 42 players on the bench. They opened the game. I think they had 39 it might have been 40 there was there was some discrepancy once the players are on the bench it's so hard to count them because they're all just a big blob along the bench it's hard to keep track of of who's who and where's where but I actually thought the Riders played well, and I I know that they lost by 34 points, but I thought Cody Fajardo made quick decisions with the football. He threw it authoritatively. He threw it accurately. Uh, Defensively, they were obviously just gassed by the end of the game with, with the short bench being part of that, but I'm actually more optimistic about the Riders coming out of the banjo bowl than I was going into it, and it looks like Cody Fajardo will play. Craig Dickinson had previously indicated that the only way Fajardo would not play this week is if his son was born literally on game day. Cody Fajardo tweeted Tuesday morning his son Luca has arrived, so I think he will be back in Regina to play. And how about that? Cody Fajardo, a chance to eliminate Chris Jones after the the kerfuffle that happened before the season, the drama? You can't write a better storyline.
2: Oh, he's a new dad, though. He's put all that behind him, Hodge. (laughs) <laughs> I totally agree with you in terms of the riders, though. I was impressed by their performance, and like I'm going to choose to take the descriptions of the circumstances that were happening in the locker room at face value. I don't think it's being exaggerated in this case. Some some pretty horrifying sights based on what the players were saying. Twenty guys. With, as Dunk mentioned earlier, it coming out both ends. Two bathrooms in IG Field, uh, apparently. So I would not want to be in that locker room. They battled through some very difficult conditions. And I thought they looked, especially on offense, very good in that Banjo Bowl game. Cody Fajardo looked, in my opinion, the best he has all all season. Now, I think the bigger mess is in Edmonton. It's not in the Riders' locker room at Ig Field. It's with Chris <laughs> Jones's organization because I look at what Edmonton has done this year, and you know all the turnover that has happened. I think they're well over a hundred player transactions at this point for the season, which is a remarkable number. Now he did the same thing his first season in Saskatchewan back in the day, but if you look at that roster for that team that year, and yeah, they only won five games, but you could point to you know a dozen or so players that they found that season that were you know key additions going forward, guys who became legitimate CFL players who were the foundation for what they built there in Saskatchewan. I don't know if you can have that same opinion on Edmonton. You look around their roster, who are the guys that they have found this season, the rookies who have showed up, the uncovered gems, who are going to be the core of this team going forward? There's some early promise from Dylan Mitchell at receiver, I guess, this week. You know, Kevin Brown at running back, if you think that position is important enough to be a foundational piece. But other than that, and especially on the defense, which is supposed to be where Chris Jones does his best work, there's not a lot of guys that have put their stamp on this season saying, hey, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to be a legitimate CFL player. And so, the turnover continues and you can't build a consistent winning roster that way.
1: Definitely not. And the surprising part to me is that Chris Jones has not found a pass rusher yet with all of these transactions. That's typically what he's done when he's had all these stops, even head coach or defensive coordinator. And one of those guys that he developed while he was with the Rough Riders was A.C. Leonard. And I asked him flat out of practice this week if the Riders were talking about Or if they knew that they could eliminate the Elks from postseason contention. And he had a very short and focused answer and said, we know. So they're clearly talking about it in the Saskatchewan locker room. And there's a lot of people in Rider Nation that want to see the Riders go 3-0 against Chris Jones and end his postseason chances at least in 2022. Now, I think where the discussion should go with Jones and the Elks is, does he deserve to be there for 2023. If there is nothing foundational, JC, other than what you pointed out with a couple of players, should he be back there? Because to me, you really can't look at many positives with this team. The only one that jumps out, and I'm biased in a sense toward this position, but is Trey Ford. He flashed a little bit before that shoulder injury. He's back on the active roster. I really hope they take a safe approach and don't rush him back because this team is a mess and you don't want him to get that losing culture ingrained in him. But I think we need to definitely look at Jones in the future with the Elks, especially after this disastrous season and especially if they lose to Saskatchewan on Friday night and really don't come close to the playoffs. That team that he took over when he came to Saskatchewan was much more competitive in his first year than this Elks team has been. That's the major difference to me is you could see the competitiveness in that team. They were close to getting more wins than the five I believe they got when he was in his first year in Ryderville.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, we've, we've talked about the lack of young players. Mike Thomas is really the only young defensive player who's broken in this year. He's got two sacks and about 10 starts as a defensive end. It's not, not impressive. He hasn't flashed really to me. Enoch Bacanzo, I think has looked pretty good. He was the 4th overall pick of this year's draft at weak side linebacker. Maybe that's a guy you point to, but like this this defensive core, like you've got Ed Gainey, you've you've got Deron Carter. Like you've got lots of guys who are in their 30s still starting in the secondary and that's not really a way to develop, you know, your defensive talent. And then you look at Nafis Lyon and Thomas Costigan who they traded away. Those were two up-and-coming defenders, so you could maybe build around a little bit. And they shipped them out of town, bringing back Avery Ellis, who's who's older, right? Who's already been in this league five, six years. It's not going to get any better at this point of his career. So, uh, you know, I I find it interesting. When Chris Jones was hired, I remember the board stressing repeatedly that he was here for the long haul and that he wasn't going to leave, because I think that was the concern from a lot of people at Edmondson. Maybe the concern now from fans in Edmondson is that Chris Jones is going to stay, because if you look at that crowd even for that Labor Day rematch against Calgary it was sad guys and frankly it's 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 concerning to me to look at Edmonton that used to perennially lead the CFL in attendance i think they they led the CFL in attendance for something like you know 25 of the last 30 years till Saskatchewan took over the last 2 years it's 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 concerning to me to see that building empty and frankly they should make any changes that they feel they need to make to get that building full again, because that team stunk in 2021. Guess what? They stink again.
2: Here's my concern, though, with Chris Jones. And to be clear, I don't think he should have gotten this job to begin with in Edmonton. I don't think he should keep it. He hasn't done enough to deserve it. But if you were to get rid of Chris Jones, who wants to take over that situation? because he's decimated that roster, like we said, there's no foundational pieces, all that turnover, you've got someone who would have to come in and start from absolute scratch, right? To hire someone to do that, that has to be at least a two or three year commitment to that person, in my mind, to get any sort of you know semblance of a proper evaluation of them, just because of what Chris Jones has been able to assemble this year, and it hasn't been much. So I think the smarter thing is actually to give him a year or two to try and see what he can do in free agency and maybe pull over a couple more of those Chris Jones guys that are in different cities and see if that works and you get a little bit better team. And then if the results don't improve, then you move on because I think you're just setting your next coach or GM up to lose with the situation he's
1: created there. It can only get worse under Chris Jones, though. He's already tried to pull some of his guys over there, and if he's going to grab any more of those guys in free agency, Hodge alluded to it, those are older players. I think there are a number of head coaches in the pipeline. Mark Killam would be one of them. He's from Alberta, who would love to take over that situation. And with a competent GM, let's say he brings Brendan Mahoney with him, who is the assistant GM right now in Calgary, that as long as they got guaranteed contracts – for multiple years would want to go into that situation where they can rebuild the roster their way and get rid of the Jones guys, because there's not a lot of long-term contracts in there with the elk. So I think in a way it can be an attractive situation if you're given the chance to rebuild. And I just don't think Jones has shown those signs that you want to see. And he's not going to use the word, but from a rebuilding team where you know, you have a couple at least dudes to build around on either side of the ball and we didn't even mention him trading away David Beard, just can't even explain that move whatsoever from so many perspectives. I'm surprised that Victor Kui allowed that move to even happen, to be quite honest, just for the simple fact that he's from, essentially, Edmonton and could have been a guy that would have been there for over a decade. So there's multiple moves that you can point to and say, I don't understand how you can make an argument for keeping Chris Jones. And oh, by the way, the attendance is dropping as well. And I've heard around the league that Jones is apparently on a year-to-year deal. So it's not necessarily like they would have to deal with the football operations cap implications if they wanted to get rid of Chris Jones.
0: Yeah, To me, the only thing worse than making a bad decision is doubling down on that bad Ooh. decision. So to me, if, if, you, if you think the hire is bad you move on. right? You cut ties as soon as you possibly can, and you go and find the right person. And there's lots of people in this league who want to be general managers and head coaches. So I, I do think that they could hire a good candidate, provided that they made a reasonable offer. The BC Lions officially named Vernon Adams Jr. their starter for this week's game against the Calgary Stampeders, with Winnipeg having all but locked up first place in the West and the Riders falling below 500. Who do you see finishing second in the West? Is it BC or is it Calgary?
2: Well, it's no longer a very compelling question, which I thought it was at the start of the season, but it's Calgary right now, and it's going to be Calgary until we can see what Vernon Adams Jr. is capable of, if he can be better than he has been in his last few starts in Montreal and what he showed us in the very brief appearance he made in their last game against the Alouettes, his first appearance for the BC Lions. BC has all the talent on the roster. That receiving court is fantastic. I love their defense. But if Vernon Adams Jr. can't be, you know, at least a B plus quarterback, that's all for naught right now because Jake Mayer is, I think, arguably the number two guy in the league right now behind Zach Caleros because Nathan Rourke is hurt. He's young. He's up and coming teams with better quarterbacks do better. They're the contenders. They're the ones you want to bet on. We have not seen it from Vernon Adams jr. Yet. I hope I cross my fingers that he can come in and make a competitive team because that would be all the better for me to watch and for me to write about out here in Vancouver. But until we see it, I'm not putting any chips down on the BC lines because we've seen what they look like without a legitimate quarterback, and it's not as good as the sum of their parts.
1: It's the Stampson's not even close. And I like your comment, JC, about Jake Mayer being the number two quarterback in the league. A lot of people are going to get upset in different markets, especially where I currently am in Regina, but it's the truth. He has looked great since he's been put into that starting role, and I would argue that potentially... The third best quarterback is standing behind him on the sideline in Bo Levi Mitchell. But it's a conversation for the offseason to see where Mitchell ends up. So it's going to be Calgary in that second spot. I just don't see it happening with Vernon Adams Jr., to be quite honest. And hey, prove me wrong. I told you at the start of the season that you were going to lose your job to Trevor Harris. You didn't believe me. That's what happened due to politics. Not necessarily a lack of play. But I want to see him prove it to us on the field that he can be that point guard that he talked about when he first came to BC. He was raving about all these playmakers that he had, but he had all those playmakers in Montreal, and it wasn't exactly like he was putting up Nathan Rourke-like numbers and on pace to throw for over 50 touchdowns and 6,000 yards while he was with the Alouettes. So I get it. There's a lot of pieces to like there. But I think we're also underrating Rourke's ability as a leader to bring that team together. That's something that you can't quantify with statistics or analytics or really anything else. It's something that's felt. It's an energy inside the locker room, on the field. That quiet confidence as opposed to the up and downs that Vernon Adams Jr. has shown in his career to date in the CFL.
0: And just for clarity, for for ultra-clarity, when you say Jake Mayer is the number two quarterback in the CFL, we're not including an injured Nathan Rourke, correct? That okay. is correct. I just I just yes. wanted to clarify that because it's Rourke one, it's Kolaris two, and I agree that it's Mayer three. I really do. I don't think Bolivar Mitchell would be the next one, uh, but I think Mayer is the number three quarterback in the CFL right now. Um, to me, I, I think Calgary is going to take it as well. I think Calgary has the better defense. I think they've done a better job overcoming injuries, and I think they run the ball better. Kadim Carey, is the most exciting offensive weapon in the CFL right now, in my opinion, outside of the quarterback position. Uh, He runs angry. He runs like he's trying to hurt people. I really missed him. I mean, Dedrick Mills did a nice job replacing Kadeem Carey while he was out, but I really missed watching Kadeem Carey play. He's been fun to watch, and that offensive line, I think, is underrated. I question their depth coming into the season. Frankly, I still think they lack depth, but they've been healthy Basically, across the board, Sean McEwen missed a number of games at center, but he's coming right back. And so if that offensive line can remain with the ones across the board, then absolutely, I think the Calgary will finish number two in the West. And I'm on record already as saying the West final is going to be Calgary at Winnipeg on November. I believe it's November, uh, November 13th, Sunday, November 13th. Um, And I think the Bombers are going to win by a field goal. But we'll uh, we'll cross the score when we get there. For now, I'm taking Calgary number two in the West Division all day.
2: On that leadership note that you mentioned, Doug, we we should also tell our viewers that Nathan Rourke, who is not supposed to be on his foot for eight weeks after that Liz Frank sprain surgery, he's in a walking boot. You know what he was doing yesterday on Tuesday? He was throwing at practice in his walking boot, keeping the weight off the foot. Because they didn't tell him he couldn't throw. They just said he couldn't walk. So that is a leaguer for your team. He's going to come back even stronger. I think the future is bright for the BC Lions if he stays around. Uh, I don't think it's so bright while he's out. Quarterback Dane Evans told the media Hamilton that he's, quote, feeling great, end quote, after having a bye week to rest his ailing shoulder. The veteran passer was a full participant in practice ahead of the team's Labor Day rematch against Toronto, but did not play after throwing left-handed in warm-ups. Can Evans save the Ty season?
1: The short answer is no, and perhaps he was throwing left-handed, and that's the reason why he was a quote full participant. Again, another reason I think some of these injury reporting designations are bogus. But credit to our Bob Buttram for getting a photo of him to end all of the rumor mill. He was actually throwing left-handed on the sidelines at Labor Day. Full credit to Buttram. But no, Dane Evans cannot save this season. This season is over. Over. For the Ticats, okay? There's a major difference between Orlando Steinauer, or the head coach. He is a great motivator. And Orlando Steinauer, or the president of football operations, because if he's not going to admit it, we're going to lay the decision at his feet to choose Dane Evans over Jeremiah Masoli. Now, imagine if Masoli was still in Hamilton. Maybe that shot from Garrett Marino doesn't happen on the knees, not up for the season, da 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 da, all the rest. Anyways, it was his decision at the end of the day. So he needs to own this. And in my mind, he has been very terse with some softball questions, to be quite honest, because he's not getting the fastballs that come at Craig Dickinson on the daily in Regina. Okay. And he's not liked it. I think he needs to deal with this better. And he's not used to dealing with these losses piling up because he's used to having 15 and three seasons or. No decent seasons and then going to the Grey Cup back-to-back years. Not awful seasons where they're in a struggle to not finish in the basement of the East Division. So I would like to see Steinauer more poised and not necessarily accepting, but understanding that the media has a job to do too. And if you're not playing football, winning football it is, People are going to question you. People are going to analyze you in a smart and professional way. It's not a shot at you, Mr. Steinauer. It's you control the narrative. If your team wins football games, you're a great coach. You win the awards off the field and get to great cups. If you're not, there are going to be people who question what is going on, and I think that's only fair in Hamilton right now.
0: Yeah, I I also think that the Cats season is is all but over. I'll give them I'll give them this week. They're hosting the Blue Bombers, and we look obviously the Blue Bombers are the best team in the CFL. They're twelve and one, but this is also a Blue Bomber team that I thought got outplayed by the Edmonton Elks at Commonwealth Stadium. I thought they got outplayed by the Ottawa Red Blacks week one at IG Field, and and they darn near lost to the Toronto Argonauts. At BMO field had Boris Beattie not that convert that game goes to overtime so to me I do think that this Bombers team is vulnerable again I think they're I think they're the best team in the league but I don't think they are unbeatable if the Thai Cats can pull this one off I'll give them some benefit of the doubt but when you look back at the Ticats record over the last month I mean the last five games they're one and four three losses to Toronto one loss to Montreal and one win over the Argos. This is a team that had full control of their destiny after starting 2 and 5 and they're now 3 and 9 and staring down elimination down the barrel of a shotgun over the next couple of weeks because of course they are no longer in control of their destiny. They've got Winnipeg, I got their schedule here. Then they're at Montreal, then they have to play against West Division teams who are still going to have something to play for. They have Saskatchewan and Calgary and over the last 2 weeks of the year They've got Ottawa back to back. And by that point, it's possible that neither of these teams will have anything to play for depending on whether or not Toronto and Montreal continue to win. So if the Ticats win this week, if they beat the Blue Bombers, I will give them some benefit of the doubt. But I still have a lot of questions about either the injury reporting out of Hamilton or the status of that shoulder. Because frankly, listening to Dane Evans talk about how great his shoulder feels, I have a hard time buying it. If it was so bad that you couldn't even throw right-handed We're talking like 10 days ago, and now it's at 100%. I'm not a doctor, nor am I a quarterback, so maybe I'm wrong, entirely possible. But I'm just saying, that doesn't smell right to me as someone who gets paid to think critically and ask questions about what he's seeing from what is, at the end of the day, not a good football team right now.
2: I don't know, guys. Maybe Dang Evans was just throwing left-handed because clearly his right arm's not good enough, right? (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) He's... he, he's, showing <laughs> a, <laughs> he's, sho- he's showing us nothing this year to indicate that he should be the future in Hamilton, which pains me to say because I liked him coming into the year. But clearly, he's not the guy to write this shit. Unfortunately, Matthew Schiltz is hurt. Ooh, the backup who has outplayed Evans and I believe would be starting if not for that unfortunate wrist injury. But I've said it again. Why was he even on the roster? as a third stringer, if he's throwing left hand, it makes no sense. And it comes back to this sort of systemic failure that seems to be happening in Hamilton of just questionable roster decisions, right? That's an extra body that you can put on the field. That can help you somewhere. Dane Evans was not going to help you left-handed. Not that he's helped you at all this season to begin with, but he's certainly not going (laughs) to help you throw in left-handed ducks. Even if you get to the situation where you guys stick him in the game, right? That's just a recipe for disaster. Throw a receiver in there and run a a wildcat in that case. Like do not put Dane Evans on the field left-handed. Do not have him in uniform. I do not not know what's going on in Hamilton. They've been, in my opinion, the most disappointing team in the league this year because they have some talent on that roster. We know what that coaching staff has done in the past, but they've underachieved at every level. And there's got to be some changes in that building going forward. I, I, I think you guys are being—I arc-
0: think you're being a little harsh on Dane Evans. I don't think he's been awful. I don't. Th- I think he struggled at times. He he's been thrown too many he has, I don't think he's been terrible. He's thrown too many interceptions. But I, yes, I all. I terrible. He, but he has looked good at times. I'm not how'd, saying he's had. A how'd you
2: be Ugh. able to pick him off? If we stuck what? you at DB, you get. A I mean, I'm. I'm
0: profoundly unathletic, but maybe you're. Right. I know.
2: know.
1: He throw it right at you. It'd be a gift. <laughs> Hypercritical and ultra sarcastic, JC Abbott is my favorite jc Abbott, you guys remember that dunk competition with vince carter where he threw down all those crazy dunks and then stuck his elbow in the rim i think it was kenny the jet smith that was yelling it's over ladies and gentlemen it's over that's the tie Cats season hodge i don't know why you're giving them any chance to make the playoffs it's over i'm, I'm giving Moving them a
0: chance because it's the east division that's why that's why it's the east division anything can happen
1: Fair, but I haven't seen anything from the Ticats to make me think that they can even make the playoffs in the East Division. At least the Red Blacks had a mini heater and have played solid football against the West at times. I understand you're just being nice. You're bouncing us out because JC and I are too harsh on the Ticats right now. (laughs) Week 1 NFL primetime games averaged nearly 900,000 viewers in Canada. That was more than double what CFL games drew in Week 14. What does that tell us about football viewing in our home and native land, fellas?
0: Well, I, I want to wait a little bit longer before we, we really get into the nitty-gritty of the numbers because, right, the, like the first week of the NFL season is so unbelievably hyped, right? Everybody knows. Everybody's tuning in to watch how their fantasy players are going to do. Everybody's engaged with their survival, survivor pools. I saw so many tweets this past week for people cursing. You know, whether it was, uh, uh, you know, the Bengals, Cincinnati Bengals Bengals were a common one, right? Teams that were supposed to win and didn't. I forget who the Giants beat, but that was another one. The Giants. Ooh, Tennessee. uh, Thank you. Saquon Barkley ran all over the Titans. A lot of people were upset with Tennessee. Uh, So I I think that the first week of the NFL season, right, with that juggernaut that they have that runs not not even 300 days a year, 365 days a year, getting people hyped would have inflated these numbers. Because frankly, I didn't think a lot of the games were actually very good week one in the NFL. But that said, I do think that it is very noteworthy that it's more than double. The CFL ratings have been respectable this season. I think they've generally been slightly down from 2021. But this is a concerning trend, and it's one that's continuing to grow. The, The huge growth that the NFL has experienced And I don't think that it's necessarily at the cost of the CFL because they are different games played at different times, right? The CFL did not schedule a game on Sunday this week for a reason. But I do think that especially with the younger demographics that we're seeing more gravitating to the NFL in our country, this is a trend we have to be aware of and that the CFL needs to be prepared to deal with at some point in the future.
2: I think the reality of these numbers, guys, we have to put them in perspective, is that There's not 900,000 people sitting down watching every single second of the NFL game, you know, enthralled by the action. I think what NFL numbers show us is the power of casual viewership. Because at the end of the day, I think there are probably a roughly equal number of dedicated, you know, intense fans for both the CFL and NFL in this country. But where the NFL runs away is with casual interest casual viewership you know people who have fantasy teams or pickem leagues or all these things that the NFL has made so much money on and and such a, a mo- um you know a monopoly on in in these this sports betting sports gambling age people aren't necessarily cheering for one specific team they're cheering for their receiver who they need to get 25 points to to win their fantasy matchup this week. And so when you have games on big networks like the NFL does in prime time, people will put them on. They'll do other stuff. They'll come here. They'll come there. They'll flip between games and they'll watch a whole bunch. Or the NFL will put a bunch of things on the Internet, clips, highlights, virals. People don't have to watch a full game to enjoy the NFL anymore. They don't have to be a dedicated fan. It's gotten to the point where you cannot watch an NFL game and still feel like you are engaged in the fan base that week. So that is where the CFL needs to go to in trying to attract casual viewership, try to engage people even when they're not sitting on their couch watching a game. Because it will drive the casual viewership going forward. Now we're never gonna to get to the NFL numbers. I think we need to preface this right off the bat. That ship sailed a long time ago. Okay. If you want the CFL to be bigger than the NFL in this country, then you need to uh, you know go to your local MP's office and demand more stringent CanCon regulations. That's the only way then that will ever happen. The the effective globalization means that the nfl is going to be larger they have won capitalism congratulations you are not defeating them anytime soon okay but the cfl can get better at all those other things around the game that make the nfl more casually watchable than our league and part of that is getting on the big networks right Some of these games are on CTV in prime time, right? That is a bigger network that more people are going to casually flick to and end up watching a game than TSN.
1: There's a few takeaways here for me. I'll try to go through them quickly. Number one would be there's only so much time that people have. So even though CFL and NFL games aren't scheduled head-to-head, that's smart on the CFL's part, obviously, there's only so much football viewing that they're going to do. So I think the NFL – is going to take away viewers, especially in the fall, and maybe not necessarily for the playoff games in the Great Cup, but to an extent, there's going to be loss of viewership there because people only have so much time to a lot for sitting down and watching football. That would be a lot of time to watch all the CFL games every week, which is usually four, and then a complete slate of NFL or even just a primetime game. So we should know the primetime games is what we're talking about. So the Thursday night opener bills at Rams where Buffalo ran over the defending Super Bowl champions, the Sunday night game where Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played largely a boring game in Dallas and a win over the Cowboys and the Monday nighter where Russell Wilson went back to Seattle and the Broncos fumbled twice inside the red zone for him to have a loss in that game against the Seahawks. So, I was trying to compare it from that standpoint because those are the standalone games. But also, there's a difference there because the Thursday nighter did go across CTV. But the Monday nighter is just TSN. The Sunday nighter is largely just TSN. So there's a little bit of a difference there. But I think there's only so much viewing time to go around. The other major one to me is sometimes CFL fans, and I see it on my Twitter feed all the time when I post the ratings pieces, Talk about, well, where are the streaming numbers? Those are extremely hard to come by, a closely guarded secret. And if they were high for the CFL, the league would be boasting and posting about that. So I think what these TV ratings do is give us apples to apples to compare. So it tells you that the NFL has taken over football viewership in this country over the last number of years. And then the other factor that I wanted to make sure I mentioned, we're going to talk about this matchup a little later, but for example, Noah Pelche, who's a starting quarterback for the University of Regina Rams, when asked who his favorite team and quarterback was, it was not the Saskatchewan Roughriders and Cody Fajardo or one of the former pivots who played for the green and white, like let's say a Darian Durant. It was... The Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. So that's what we're hearing from young men, let's say, and I would imagine even some young women that are playing this Canadian brand of football, three downs on the wider field with 12 men, a yard off the ball, all the rest. Their favorite teams and players that they talk about first are the teams in the NFL. Mason Nye's, in my mind, the front runner, and yes, it's only been two weeks for the Heck Crichton Award, his favorite team. The San Francisco 49ers. So you see this trend building in these young people. And it's something we've talked about a lot. The CFL's aging demographic in terms of the fans that actually show up. But also now kids that are playing Canadian football in this country have grown up with the NFL being front and center and putting the CFL either on the back burner or just ignoring it altogether.
0: I think that's that's all fair and there's lots of ways that the CFL can engage local fans um that the NFL can't right and I've I've given this example before but like like he talked about Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers is not going to an elementary school in Saskatchewan and reading to kids which is something that the Riders do every single year and all nine CFL teams should be doing more of that type of, and, and Amar Dolman has talked about this right in Vancouver. There's been a huge disconnect for many years between the BC Lions and the local community. He wants to get out, he wants to talk to kids, he wants to have them engaged with his football team. This is not a solution that will take effect in a year from now, right? It, this is a, a long term solution. Personally, I love the CFL and the NFL. I'm a big fan of both. And I, yes, I watched Geno Smith upset russell wilson who i've said i think is one of the most overrated quarterbacks of all time i felt (laughs) vindicated watching him lose that game uh, his first after signing whatever was a 256 million dollar contract um but this is uh it's a big topic and it's certainly one that the cfl needs to pay attention to because i think there's room for both um especially given that the cfl season starts so far ahead of the NFL season. But certainly, and by the way, as far as the ratings go, I think, Doug, you always do a great job of comparing the ratings to other things because I've seen people complain, well, what's the context for these? There's no streaming. There's no, well, when you lay out, here's what the the CFL did compared to the Toronto Blue Jays or here's what the CFL did compared to the first week of the NHL season. Those numbers are relevant and that's why we publish the goods on three down. I also, by the way, don't see anybody else reporting CFL uh, television ratings. Anywhere in the marketplace. We're the only ones who do it as far as I'm aware of.
2: One more note from me. I, I think your point is is well well formulated, Hodge, that they have to become more engaged in the local community, and that's uh, the pathway to success. But we have to frame that success correctly because you're never going to be Walmart, right? The NFL is going to be Walmart. The CFL can be a very successful mom and pop local business ingrained in the community selling quality product that is valuable to everyone around but it's never going to be walmart right and i am i legitimately mean this when i say if you have an issue with that setup then you need to demand better cancon legislation right the reason the nfl has surpassed the CFL in terms of interest level in this country is because of globalization, because of Americanization, right? It's We went from a time where you could watch just what was near you, right? You could watch the CFL games because they were on CBC or whatever network. You could watch your local team. You could go to that. And you might only have access to games from one NFL team. You couldn't follow every team uh, actually visually, you had to look in the newspaper. And so you were more of a casual NFL, you were dedicated to your local CFL team. Well, now, with the effects of the internet, everything is right at our fingertips. And what we see as a country is the is the effect on our cultural institutions at all level, not just the CFL, but in the arts, you know, in film and television, is that A lot of it is getting washed aside. Things that were successful in the past are being forgotten and are no longer as successful as they were because they can't compete with the money and size of the USA. And this is a problem that is experienced by all countries around the world to differing extents, but it particularly affects us because of the proximity that we have to the United States and the fact that we share a language so if you legitimately care about this and this is a problem for you you need to go and talk to mps and and advocate for stronger cancon legislations to ensure we have canadian programming and the cfl will benefit from that to ensure that we're regulating spaces on the internet to ensure there's canadian content there as well i i care very deeply about this i'm sure there are people who don't care at all and think that's a stupid idea and that's fine But if you care about Canadian content and local things like the CFL, then you actually need to fight for it, right? You can't just sit back and complain about all these big things coming into Canada and doing this and that and, oh, the CFL is floundering. You actually have to fight for it, and that happens in legislation.
1: It's a great angle, JC, but the difficult part of it is – what you guys have noted with the globalization of sports, not only the NFL, but multiple other leagues. Let's take Major League Soccer, for example. Everyone saw that deal with Apple TV and thought, oh, well, if MLS can get that, then what could the CFL get? But the difference there is Major League Soccer is a global product. There are people, David Beckham, Wayne Rooney, Thierry Henry that are involved in Major League Soccer that are well known across the globe. And obviously, a large part of that is in Europe. But still, the CFL is not there. So as much as you want to go fight for CanCon with your local MPs, and I love the passion, JC, the reality now is the CFL is competing on a global level because with the internet, you're going to be able to find what you want to watch somehow, some way, whether that's legally or with the illegal stream. So that's the reality for the CFL. And I would argue that the league needs to do a better job and has in the past, but has gotten away from it. I would say probably in the last 10, 15, 20 years of being in the community. They talk about it, but I don't think we see it as much. I can only talk about Some of the stuff that I see mostly in Southern Ontario. But for example, the NFL does a great job of getting their flag football products out across the country. And there was a chance for the CFL to do that at no cost with Football Canada. And they said no because they wanted money for it. So it's simple things that the CFL needs to start understanding that if you don't command that almighty dollar – Like Walmart does, JC in your example, sometimes the mom and pop pop shop has to give away free samples to entice people to come back there. to maybe pay a little bit more for something that's homegrown or at least to get invested in something that's homegrown. The CFL needs to get its product in front of as many people as possible, whether they get money for it or not. I understand you're running a business. But if you're trying to entice younger people to get engaged in your game, you got to go and put it right in front of them all across this country because the NFL now has these regional marketing territories with the teams that are close to the border, and they're going to continue to infiltrate this country more and more because they see that as advancing their business just like they're doing in Mexico or in London with all of the games that they've had there. They understand the global approach much better than Randy Ambrosi and his CFL 2.0 idea.
0: Wait, are you guys saying that, like, you know, punters from Norway and, and Australia and, and Japanese kickers are not the way to increase interest in the CFL? I, for one, am shocked by that opinion. <laughs> but anyway, it's time to move on. London, Ontario native Chase Brown finished atop the first edition of the CFL Scouting Bureau rankings and is off to a ridiculous start to his year at the University of Illinois, rushing for 496 yards and two touchdowns over just three games with the Fighting Illini. If Brown decides to go pro in 2023, will he be in the NFL or the CFL?
2: I think at this stage, it's looking like the NFL... Now, how high he goes, especially as a running back, that's difficult to predict at this stage. But he's shown all the talent over the last couple years and at the start of this season to prove that he is an NFL caliber back in some round. He's going to get drafted, in my opinion, because he is explosive with the ball in his hands. He's fantastic Uh, after contact. He's an absolute speedster as well. And his brother's a very talented player as well. We should note his twin brother, Sydney plays safety for the Illinois as well. He's also on the CFL Scouting Bureau ranking. Won't have quite the same NFL interest as his running back brother, but may also get a look as well. So he's going to get an opportunity south of the border. But when it comes to the CFL rankings, I, I have a bone to pick that's unrelated to Chase Brown. And that's the fact that consistently these rankings come out and they don't have all the players on them that are eligible. I did my own ranking in August. We talked about it on this show where I went through my top twenty-five uh, players that are eligible for this draft. And you know, there's going to be some differences between those two two lists. I I don't have an issue with some of the players that they see higher than I do, or that they see lower than I do. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that. Two of my top five players, Matthew Bergeron at Syracuse, uh, the left tackle there, and Kyle Hergel at Texas State, who's a fantastic guard. Both of these players were not anywhere on the CFL's top 20. And it's simply because they're listed incorrectly or listed slightly differently on their team's websites, despite the fact that they have played exactly the same amount of college football as Chase Brown has. And Have the same amount of eligibility. They should be in this draft, although they have the option to return to school, just as some of these other players on this list do. So the fact that they're not on the list is mind boggling to me because we're trying to talk, uh, we're trying to advertise and market this great Canadian talent. And Matthew Bergeron arguably could end up being the highest drafted Canadian in the NFL this season. Right? There are people talking about him as a fourth-round pick right now. He could rise through that process, and he's not even on your list? That's ridiculous to me. That has to change, and it happens year after year after year where we're just
1: missing guys. If you're going to do something, do it properly, CFL. I know we're really banging on you here, but let's at least have the players correct, okay? JC Abbott put in the work and has the most legitimate list rankings for this draft class john hodge would be the same way we know the draft very well you two guys take it to another level and i would say to the people out there that you need to look and go back to jc's rankings because this scouting bureau becomes more and more bogus every single year for multiple reasons this is just the start of it you have two of the best players who are from canada that aren't even on your list And then you have guys and I understand you want to hold your cards close to your vest where the people who rank this list don't want to rank players too high to show their hand, potentially, who they like. So I think the panel needs to be rejigged or just do away with it, okay? We'll do your work for you. We'll put in the actual homework and put out a legitimate list so people can understand who the best players are from this country. I'm really sick of this, man. The CFL does not take this seriously because over the years, there have been people working outside the CFL office who do not get paid for doing this, but that give names to them That should be included in the CFL draft. Like, that is ridiculous for what is supposed to be a professional football league. Rant done. Chase Brown will be in the NFL. This dude is on pace to go for over 1,500 yards, potentially 2,000 yards. He's getting into that Chuba Hubbard range. And I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but he's at least on that pace. Where Hubbard went for over 2,000 yards was a heck... I was going to say a Crichton Trophy, Heisman Trophy candidate. We'll get to Mason Nice in a second. He's probably not going to be talked about in that way because he's playing for the Fighting Illini in the Big Ten, who probably won't have the best record by the end of the season. But dude is a stud. And it shows, again, skilled position players from our country can compete at the highest levels of football. And there's still some American coaches in the CFL that need to know and even better understand that and give these young men the chance in the CFL.
0: Yeah, I I think and and I think Chuba Hubbard is a really good comparable for Chase Brown. Brown is like an inch shorter and about ten pounds lighter, so he is smaller. But it's this frame is almost identical to Hubbard's. Um, Hubbard also had a similar year where on a middling team he put up a ridiculous amount of yardage. I think he led the NCAA in yardage as a junior. Um, Currently, after just three weeks, Brown is the NCAA's leader in carries and yards. He's averaging, I think, 6.6 yards per carry, which is ridiculous. Mm. Um, To me, Hubbard is a better straight line runner, uh, but I do think that Brown is a little more shifty. Uh, Personally, I think that Hubbard was overdrafted a little bit by the Carolina Panthers in the fourth round of the the 2021 NFL draft, and frankly, he did not have a great rookie season. He played a lot. Christian McCaffrey was hurt. He only averaged, I think it was 3.6 yards per carry with with the Panthers. So to me I think that Hubbard is does belong in the NFL. I personally had him in round 6 7. He went in 4 and played a lot as a rookie. Chase Brown, I think that's a good comparable. I think he'll go if I had to if I had to give a number right now, I'd say he'll go in round 6 and I think he'll make an NFL roster. I think he's explosive. That said, like Hubbard, I think this is especially something that CFL fans should pay attention to because, unlike a position where players tend to hang around for a long time, like quarterback, like uh, like an edge rusher or, or or an offensive tackle, running back is a position that the CFL, like or the NFL, treats like napkins. Right, you you wipe it and you chuck it in the garbage. Right, they dispose of running backs. <laughs> like it's going out of style. So I do think there's a legit chance that we see Hubbard in the CFL still one day, and I do think that there's a legit chance that we could see Chase Brown in the CFL. And I think that would be fantastic for CFL fans because these are guys who could like be legitimate stars north of the border,
2: 100%. Before we move on, just the last note on Chase Brown, just so fans get a context of you know where his draft stock might be, it should be noted that this is considered to be an especially talented class of running backs this season and an especially deep one as well. So in an era where running backs aren't getting drafted as highly as they once were, and the run on them starts in those later rounds, it's, you know, there is a potential that he could get pushed later in the draft. Then he might normally see himself go just because of the amount of talent at that position that is coming out or is expected to come out this season it's football weekend in saskatchewan and dunk you're in the queen city as part of the broadcast team for a top 10 u-sports showdown as the university of saskatchewan huskies traveled down highway 11 for a matchup with the university of virginia rams what players do people need to watch for
1: Ooh! First and foremost, it's the quarterback, I mentioned him earlier, Mason Nias for the U of S. He's in my mind, yeah, it's only two weeks, The heck Crichton front runner. The dude is thrown for seven touchdowns over 700 yards without any picks, is in complete command of this Scott Flory offense. He's the head coach of the Huskies as well. And Saskatchewan is ranked number two in the country, looking to go back to the Vanier Cup for a second straight year. And they've had a bunch of reminders in the offseason as to what they want to do in terms of getting to that national championship again. And then you have the Rams, who are unexpectedly outside of the locker room, inside, I'm sure it's a different story, 2-0, and In the Canada West Conference, Hodge, you saw them in week one, upset the University of Manitoba, who started season number two in the Canada West coaches poll, and they're led by a young quarterback in Noah Pellshay, but more to the point, a stout defense. So if you're watching this game, Ryder Varga will be intriguing for BC Lions fans. He was a draft pick of that squad in, what year are we in, 2022 and he went back to school simply just to finish his degree. But if you're watching the Huskies, there are two dudes on defense that you got to keep an eye on. John Leggett in the middle. He's an absolute powerhouse at nose tackle. Apparently, bench presses 225 pounds 40-ish times. Guys, that's insane. And Nick Weeb, one of their inside linebackers, a transfer from the University of Oregon, coming off a full offseason with the Huskies is an absolute beast. I've been around that dude a lot last year and a little bit of time this year. He just has this pro energy about him. He gets it. He could even be a guy that, if he tests very well, might have a low-end NFL shot because of that Oregon pedigree, but he'll be a high draft pick in his year, which is coming up. I believe I got the years right. It's 2024, so watch out for those two dudes. And the Rams have a bunch of intriguing guys as well that are either CFL draft picks or could be CFL eligible. Riley Borsma is one for Riders fans to walk out. A speedy, watch out excuse me, a speedy receiver they have on that side of the ball. So it's an intriguing matchup that's part of this weekend. We talked about it off the top of the Riders potentially ending Chris Jones and the Edmonton Elks playoff hopes this year. While this is dovetailed at the end of the weekend – Buy this matchup at Mosaic Stadium Saturday night. I encourage you, if you're in the area, come out to see this game because it will be a dynamite matchup. And if you can't get there, tune in on SAS Max.
0: It's going to be a good weekend of football. I was very impressed with what I saw from the Regina Rams in their first game against the Manitoba Bisons. Admittedly, part of that is the Manitoba Bisons not having the best week. That being said, I mean, uh, Noah Pelche, he he should have had three touchdown passes in that game. He had two key drops uh, from Deshaun Mims. So I, I liked what I saw from the Rams. I saw that they were the lowest ranked team in the West coming out of, of, or going into the regular season, I should say, and they've absolutely made their haters eat crow so far. I'm excited for this game. It should be the best U-sports game of the week.
2: It should be fantastic, and we should also note, I believe with this football weekend in Saskatchewan, there's also a junior football game happening as well between the Regina Thunder and the Saskatoon Hilltops. That should also be a fantastic contest if you want to support some local junior football as well. But for me, I'm most excited about those two linebackers that you mentioned, Dunk, because Ryder Varga was extremely exciting to watch in the draft. I think the BC Lions got a steal there. Unfortunately, he went back to school because I think he would be their best special teamer this year. And I think that's their hope for him going forward. They were very impressed with what they saw from him in training camp, and I think he'll make an immediate impact in the CFL. And then Nick Weeb, I don't know what else I can say about him that hasn't already been said. He is a fantastic football player. And actually, when we go back to that top prospect list, that I formulated in August, I had to reach out to the league and check his eligibility because I thought for a minute, he might be in this coming year's draft. He's not, he's in 2024, but I had to check because he would have been on that list. He's that good a player, a guy who walked on at the university of Oregon and then ended up getting some reps in their linebacking core live in games in the PAC 12, then ultimately decided to transfer back to Canada. Uh, He grew up in, Uh, Calgary Elberga, he now plays for the University of Saskatchewan Huskies and is a beast on that defense. So two very exciting linebackers to watch with big-time pro futures.
1: There's one matchup to look at in the trenches. I know you boys sometimes think I like to talk about skill position guys, but Anthony Bennett has been a monster for the Rams off the edge. Back-to-back weeks, he's been the Canada West Defensive Player of the Week, and I believe one of those weeks he was also the U-Sports Defensive player of the week. Had a pick six last week in the Rams win against the University of Calgary. And it won't be the entire game that he's lined up there. He's on that side of the field probably. But he's going against a right tackle in Jack Warwick, who, and it's very rare, is starting as a true freshman, they call him out here, right out of high school, for Scott Flory. So when you have a guy that's in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame as an offensive lineman, and you can come to the Huskies program in the Canada West and start right out of high school – that is saying a little something, something. So Bennett against Warwick is going to be a big-time matchup. Not so sure about Bennett's pro aspirations in terms of legitimate opportunities. I think he's probably got to put a little bit more weight on and probably show some more speed. But he's really gotten after it, and he's piqued the interest of CFL scouts. Certainly Warwick, just being in his first year, I would imagine down the road when he's in his fourth year in draft el- eligible, will be a high pick.
0: It's no time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. On this day in 1963, the Saskatchewan Roughriders and Calgary Stampeders played to a 4-4 tie at at McMahon Stadium. Uh, That's not 44. That's four points for both teams for a total of eight. The teams combined for a single-game CFL record of 814 punting yards, not return yards, punting yards which means this may very well have been the most boring game in the history of the cfl boys have you ever seen a game that had less than eight points and over 800 punt yards
1: (laughs) never
2: that is an absolutely insane number can we please hide any record of this game from any of those people who say the cfl has too many punts i don't want them
1: seeing this
0: it's not a game that I, I mean, obviously I was not around in 1963. It's not a game I'm sad to have missed.
1: <laughs> Let's get going with the three-minute drill, fellas. Raiders quarterback Cody Fajardo left practice abruptly on Tuesday to attend the birth of his son, Luca. Head coach Greg Dickinson believes Fajardo will be back in time to start Friday's game, though he said the team will give him all the time he needs to enjoy being a new dad with his son, Luca. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. I think this was handled perfectly by the team. All best to Fajardo and his young family. The BC Lions released young quarterback Kevin Thompson. Was that a surprise?
2: It was absolutely shocking, Hodge. This is a guy who I thought the team was very high on. Coming out of training camp, there was discussion, had he not been injured, that he would have beat out Michael O'Connor for the backup job behind Nathan Rourke. People were talking about him as a potential quarterback of the future had Rourke gone to the NFL. So it's surprising that they would release him especially at a time where they're missing not one but two quarterbacks due to injury. The CFL reportedly issued a memo warning teams against signing former Riders defensive tackle Garrett Marino. Was that the right decision Hodge or Duncan?
1: I don't necessarily think so I think this guy might have a right to earn a living even though his rap sheet was pretty long and the PA would challenge it so what I would like to see is Chris Jones try to sign this guy and the drama that would ensue. Three domination contributors voted for CFL Award winners at two thirds and halfway mark of the season. Zach Kalaros being the selection for most outstanding player. Is that the proper choice?
0: With Nathan Work out, to me, there is only one choice for MOP, and that is Zach Colaris. I think the Ooh. next player behind him, which Ooh. is probably Kadeem Carey, is a distant, distant third.
2: David Vancouver Rourke is still the MOP. No, he's let's not. Go, let's make that clear right oh, I now. Love it. Get out There's, of here. He's still better than any quarterback in the league, and he, hasn't, he won't play half the games.
0: He's I don't walking care. around in
2: a boot. I do not care.
0: Who's got more <laughs> touchdown passes? The answer is Zach Kalaris.
2: In more games. That, that's, it, it, that doesn't It took matter. him like three additional games to pass Rourke. You Come do on. need to stay healthy, though. Come on. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay if by that standard
2: most, most outstanding player outstanding, out- most, out- the outstanding word. Player. most outstanding
0: this three minute drill is gonna end up being eight minutes but this is gar- <laughs> I'm sorry this is garbage it's not it's not most outstanding player for one moment in time it is most outstanding player for this season if you play half the season then you have accomplished half of what someone else has
2: and that half was better
0: it was a damn impressive half of the season. That does not change the fact that it was half the season. The Vancouver Island Raiders launched a GoFundMe to replace $50,000 worth of stolen equipment. Will this CJFL team ever catch a break?
2: I certainly hope they do, and I hope a bunch of people chip in to to get them new equipment. This is a local football team, a, a not-for-profit junior football team uh, that gets produced, you know, some big time players. This is Andrew Harris's old club, and they've had some struggles, not just this theft. There was another theft a year ago. They've had some equipment damaged uh, in some unfortunate circumstances. So they're in some pretty dire straits, and I hope everyone as a football community in BC and across Canada can band together and help them out in this time of need. Willie Jefferson sported a vintage Milt Steagall jersey before and after the Banjo Bowl at IG Field. Is that a good look for the fearsome pass rusher?
1: Heck yeah it was. Willie Jefferson knows what he's doing at the podium, okay? We need more swag like Willie J brings when he's got his glasses and sometimes he's kind of like wrapping up there and he's got his band on and this time he had the Milt Siegel jersey. More of this in the CFL, please. Okay, the NFL does it all the time. The NBA, the NHL is getting better about it. It sounds goofy because we probably should be focusing on football, but these are the kind of things that build interest around the sport, like Austin Matthews one time showed up to a lease game in whatever bogus outfit it was. and it went viral on my Twitter feed just because I posted a picture of it. Like, this is the stuff that helps the CFL get a cool image. So props to Willie J. The Blue Bombers released rookie defensive end LB Matt. Did that make sense, Hud? It
0: didn't make sense to me at all, actually. He had two sacks early on in the year while Jackson Jeffcoat was hurt. I thought he was a really good young player. I'm sure he'll land somewhere else. CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrose issued a statement indicating that he was saddened by the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Do you feel the same way, JC? You know,
2: I'm, I'm saddened when anybody passes away. I I, I don't feel any particular uh, excessive emotions towards the death of the Queen. I'm not an anti-monarchist. I'm not a monarchist either. I'm pretty indifferent to the whole institution but it's sad to see someone pass away in any circumstances and i'm glad that the cfl or at least the commissioner noted this because there is deep ties between canadian football and the monarchy right both the gray cup and the vanier cup named after former governor generals of canada were donated by them those are the queen's representatives in canada so a very deep tie there that needed to be acknowledged in that time Former Hamilton Tiger-Cats owner Michael DeGroot passed away in his late 80s on Sunday. How will you remember
1: Mr. DeGroot? You know, someone said to me the other day that Mr. DeGroot was maybe the last Tiger-Cats owner to turn a profit with the team. But I think Bob Young probably could have done so if he wanted to in terms of some of the bookkeeping. Now, I know Mr. Young likes to talk down to people about Balance sheets and not knowing simple accounting. And I know, how you seem like you're just learning math, but I think even you could understand a simple PL sheet. So that's what somebody noted about DeGroote, although I think Mr. Young probably turned the a profit with the Great Cup last year, being in Hamilton in 2021. Saskatchewan and Winnipeg wore special helmet stickers honoring the victims of the recent stabbings at James Smith Cree Nation. Was that a prudent move?
0: Absolutely. I thought it was a great show. Of, of kinmanship between the two provinces as much as the game is, is a rivalry game at the end of the day football is secondary to a situation and a tragedy like the one that occurred at james smith pre-nation the bc lions are wearing their indigenous team logo on september 30th against the Ottawa red blacks for their orange t-shirt day game how do you feel about the logo
2: i absolutely love that logo and i know there would have to be some conversations. Obviously, this is a logo designed for a a purpose by an Indigenous creator, and you don't necessarily want the Lions to be profiting off that. But if there was a way to solidify a full-season-long relationship or a a formal relationship with Indigenous groups and the BC Lions and and a continuing process in order to make that logo the team's primary logo, I think it would be fantastic because it is a sick look. Canadian quarterback Trey Ford will return to the field this week after missing eight games due to a shoulder injury, though Taylor Cornelius will remain the starter. Is that a safe call or should Ford get the start?
1: To me, I think it's a safe call because you want to make sure Ford's back at 100% before you put him out there, and honestly, For the betterment of Ford's future, he shouldn't be back out on the field with this team for the rest of the season, especially if they get eliminated from playoff contention. You don't want to put them in a terrible spot. They traded away an all-star caliber center and David Beard, which is not going to help him either. Kenny Lawler's on the six-game injured list. And we've seen it multiple times in the NFL, CFL, that if you're in these situations with a losing team, it can be to the detriment of especially the quarterback. So I hope... These discussions are being had inside the offices of the likes of Chris Jones, and honestly, of Victor Kui. I think that guy is very smart. He clearly built a successful billion-dollar entity in the MMA realm, and he knows how to manage people very well. So I think you need to understand that Ford could be a star for you in the future, and what's best for him right now in terms of getting reps on a terrible team might not actually be the best thing in the future. The CFL had its highest scoring week of the season, week 14, averaging 60 and a half points per game. My goodness. Is that a big deal?
0: I think it is. I mean, people want to see scoring. Yes, a couple of the games were blowouts, but the NFL, I'll say this, had a very low scoring first week. So if people like points, people like offense, I think being a high scoring league is a good thing for the CFL to be. Last one, Montreal Alouettes president Mario Cicchini said Sid Spiegel's estate is not actively looking to sell the team even after receiving interest from a number of local groups. Is that good news for the Owls?
2: I think Alouette's fans will be happy that there's some stability in the short term, but I don't know. This estate isn't going to hang on to this forever. It's going to be sold, and I'm not sure that telling local ownership groups at any point to go pound salt is a good look for the team.
1: (laughs) JC, whatever you ate for breakfast today, eat it every single day for the rest of your life because you were straight fire. Make sure you don't miss that fire on the next episode of the Three Down Nation podcast.
2: Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona.
0: Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best-kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your
2: springtime adventure.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McKrispie Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.